continue our study in the book of Philippians. So if you turn to Philippians chapter 1, a lot of times in counseling, especially couples counseling, but any relational counseling, you got to deal with the, the subject of conflict. And I do a whole lesson on conflict, help or hindrance. You know, you put two lost or two even saved individuals in a but they still have a sin nature in the same place, and there's going to be conflict, right? I know many young girls, when they get married, think that this is going to be happily ever after, and then it doesn't work out that way. There's going to be conflict, is there not? But do we use that conflict to help our relationship, or do we use it to hinder our relationship? You say, how can it be helpful? When we learn to deal with conflict in a proper manner and realize the differences between us and others in the way we communicate, in the way we think, in our education, in our backgrounds, in our whatever, and we use the conflict to help us understand each other better, then it was a help, was it not? But if we use the conflict to well, continue to add more conflict, then it becomes a hindrance to where people will shut down, clam up, not communicate, and it becomes more and more of a problem. So it is with trials and hard times in life. You know, again, is it a hindrance or is it an opportunity? When we come across hard times and struggles in life, Are we going to sit there and focus on the problem and let it become a hindrance? Or are we going to look at it as an opportunity? So those that lived here four years ago, remember in September of 2018, we had a pretty major catastrophe around here, did we not? When Hurricane Florence decided to come and visit for a little while. I met many people falling apart because they observed it as a hindrance. I remember as we were out going through neighborhoods trying to find out if people needed anything and trying to deliver food and whatnot, one guy locking up his doors, getting in his vehicle, throwing the last few things in his car and said, I'm getting out of here. I will never come back here. I can't handle this. This is ridiculous, blah, 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 going on and on and on because his house was over in South Forest area that got flooded very badly and he observed it as a hindrance in his life that he could not stand and there were many others who were falling apart because, oh no, I ran out of gas, I can't turn my air conditioner on, life is miserable and people whining and complaining about how horrible this situation is. And it was a bad situation. But others looked at it as an opportunity. I remember getting a call from an organization. They're a ministry that deals with aircraft, but they knew that our situation here was bad. And they said, look, we're going to try to work on getting grocery trucks in there. And they said, this is a great opportunity for us to help reach people. And then there was another church that called and said, hey, we got some Bibles. Could you use them? Yes. Okay, this would be a great opportunity for you all to be able to hand out Bibles. We had others who, a gentleman who owns a warehouse, 
here in town, found out that we had these trucks coming in. He goes, well, my warehouse happens to be sitting empty right now. Use my warehouse. And then we had churches, Community Baptist Church, Island Road Baptist Church, and I'm trying to remember some of the others who said, yes, we will set up food distribution in our churches. And so, again, they were all looking at this as an opportunity, not a hindrance to reach people and to help people. But too often in life, we tend to complain about our circumstances and trials. We focus on ourselves at these times and not on the needs of others. Now, the Philippians are concerned for Paul and his imprisonment. They may be feeling sorry for him and thinking that the gospel is hindered because he's not free to travel and preach. Did it take God by surprise that Paul was in prison? Yes or no? No. So Paul viewed it differently. They're viewing this, oh, this is such a horrible thing. Paul's in prison. He's out and out preaching. But Paul says that the things that have happened have furthered the gospel, not hindered it. And so I want us to look at verses 12 through 14 this morning in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, verse 12. But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren and the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So we want to look at this passage this way. First of all, we'll see the furtherance of the gospel. Then our second point will be to observe the fetters in Christ. And then we will end with the fearless preaching of Christ. You and I need to learn to look at circumstances and trials as opportunities, not hindrances. Father, I pray you give us wisdom and understanding and be able to take these truths and apply them to our hearts and lives, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The furtherance of the gospel. You know, Paul was in prison because Paul throughout his whole ministry was falsely accused, was he not? Let's look at a couple passages. Do I have three volunteers? All right, Ed, we'll start with you. Acts 16, 19 through 24. Andrea, I saw your hands next. Acts 19, 24 through 27. And one more volunteer before I volunteered you. Stephanie, Acts 21, 26 through 29. And let's pass the microphone around so that we can all hear. And so we'll start with you, Ed. Acts Chapter 16, verses 19 through, what was that, Pastor? 24. Through 24. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent them, rent off their clothes, and commanded to beat them, or, and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. All right. So there we see an, a time when Paul was falsely accused. Was he teaching something that was not lawful for Romans to observe? No. Andrea, go ahead. For a certain 
<clears throat> excuse me, man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation, and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. All right, now that really wasn't a false accusation. Although, I don't think Paul was reaching the entire world. But, the idea again, Paul being accused of, they made it sound like he was breaking the law or doing something wrong when he was not. Acts 21, 27-29 And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews, which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple, and hath polluted this holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city Troophimus an Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Here we have Paul being accused by his own people, the Jews, and they saying that he brought in a Gentile into the temple, which Paul did not do. But, as is typical, it doesn't have to be true for people to start saying something. Why verify it? Why look at the true facts? By the way, we need to be careful of that in our lives. Many times I find, I'll say we, because I'll include myself, are quick to judge instead of getting all the facts before we pass judgment. But accusations will come if we're serving Christ. Expect it. But then we see God allows trials. But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened to me have fallen out rather for the furtherance of the gospel. God allows trials in our lives. He allows them for several reasons. Number one, it helps strengthen us. If you never had any trials or struggles in life, you would never get stronger. Just as muscles need to be exercised to get stronger, so our faith needs to be exercised in order for it to become stronger. We had a young man working here who was, I believe, 14, and I had him help me move some stuff, and he acted like he couldn't lift up five pounds. I'm like, you know, I, I kept pushing him to keep working and keep lifting and whatnot, and it's kind of amazing to me how young people aren't taught to work now, I remember when I was young, and I struggled with things, Dad just kept pushing me, and kept pushing me, and kept pushing me, and you know, it got easier got, as I got stronger, and you start to lift more. He even got me a weight set, and then I started lifting. I was buff at one point, believe it or not. Okay, not really. We'll move on. Not only to strengthen us, but he allows trials to direct us. In Acts 27... Do you think Paul really wanted to go through that shipwreck we read about in Acts 27? But did not God use that to direct him to Melita and to be able to preach the gospel to them? You see, we're too busy complaining about the circumstances. What if Paul had the attitude of many Christians today of, I can't believe God allowed me to go through this shipwreck. Here I am trying to serve God. God, why did you allow this? 
And he's just sitting there complaining, what about all those people to whom he had the opportunity to preach the gospel? He would have missed it if his focus was on Paul and not on God. Sometimes he allows trials in our lives to strengthen and encourage others. Have you ever been encouraged by seeing how others deal with adversity in their lives? You know, sometimes that's why God allows it to happen to us, to be a help to others. I know some who have gone through some really horrible things in life, but I also know some of you here have been able to use that to help somebody else going through something similar, but you would have never been able to help them in the same way if you had not experienced it yourself. So in that, can we not thank God for the trials? He allows trials sometimes to direct us to new folks to whom we can witness to that we would have never had opportunity before. I told you about one of my mentors in life. His name was Neil Beers. And when I met Neil, he had a son named Ben. He had several boys. But Ben was 16 years old and dying of leukemia. And Neil and his family and Ben maintained their focus on God. They wrote a little track about Ben and his experience. And it was amazing to me at the funeral how many doctors and nurses showed up to Ben's funeral and how many of them accepted Christ because of the testimony of this man and his son. They would have never had opportunity to reach those people if Ben had not had cancer and ultimately died from it. Now I want you to think about your children losing a child who was 16 years old and yet Neil did not complain, he did not grumble, he did not accuse God falsely, He remained faithful, and it drew many folks to Christ. It was also at that same funeral, because I was brand new to the church, and we're talking a church of 1,300 people. Susan grew up there, so everybody knew Susan. I didn't have a name. I was Susan Edwards' husband. No, we weren't. I wasn't being married yet. We were dating. I was the guy Susan Edwards was dating. But even after we did get married and went back there, I still was Susan Edwards' husband. I never had a name there, except for Neil. Neil, the first time he met me, found out I was in the Navy. And so he gave me a nickname, the Colonel. And I'd remind him, Neil, the Navy does not have colonels. He goes, that's your name. You're going to deal with it. So when we went through the receiving line at the funeral, he grabs my hand and says, thanks for being here, Colonel. I'm like, man, this guy doesn't even know who I am. We'd only met him like, I don't know, just a few times. And I take that as a challenge. I have a hard time with names. I have a hard time remembering almost anything, but really with names. And yet he remembered me, even though his son was dying. Trials will bring out your true character, will they not? When you want to see what somebody is really made of, look at them when they're going through a rough time. So we should not be begged to be free from trials. My daughter got me a gift for my birthday. It says, or do not ask for easy lives, ask to be stronger men. You know what our problem is? We think in America, we deserve easy lives. As we see our economy falling apart, as we see things in our society getting to where we're uncomfortable, Here's the attitude many Christians have adopted that I hear. Well, the rapture must be coming soon. 
And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Show me in Scripture where God ever said, life will be difficult for everybody but Americans. And when it gets rough for Americans, then I'm going to send Jesus back. It doesn't say it, folks. It doesn't say it anywhere. And I really think it's an arrogant attitude for Christians to have to think that we deserve better. We deserve so much that we can't uh, face a little bit of persecution, a little bit of struggles in life. Oh no, Jesus must be coming back because my life is getting miserable. That's really a very prideful attitude. So we, as Paul, can rejoice in trials. Here the Philippians are concerned the gospel's being hindered because Paul's in prison. Paul's sitting there in the palace and he goes, well, if I'm going to be here with these guards and I'm going to be here in the palace of Caesar, I might as well preach to these folks. He's like, God put me here. They need to hear the gospel too. So that must be why I'm here. Sometimes God will use the enemy's attack to further or promote the gospel. The Jews were trying to stop Paul. They want Paul to be quiet. They don't want him preaching Jesus Christ. So they make these accusations against him. Now he's imprisoned, but he's in Rome, in the household of Caesar. And he goes, okay, I'll preach here. Verse 13, we see the fetters in Christ. So Paul continues the furtherance of the gospel, no matter what the trials are, no matter what the circumstances, he still understands the importance of the furtherance of the gospel. And now we see in verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. You see, we need to view ourselves as the servants of Christ. Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.10, for I do now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men. If I please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Ephesians 3.1, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for you Gentiles. Paul understood his position was servant. I feel too often we don't view ourselves as servants of Christ. Oh, we like the title Sons of God, and that's a wonderful title. Matter of fact, one of the songs we sang this morning talked about our adoption in the family of God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? But I should still view myself as a servant of Christ, should I not? Now, there's times I find comfort in being a child of God, yes. But that doesn't negate the fact that I should be serving Him. Too many folks have the idea of, I'll serve God someday. Well, let me tell you something. Tomorrow never comes. Tomorrow is always what? A day away. We need to determine in our lives, I'm going to serve Christ today. Now, what might that look like? That may mean I am going to determine by God's grace, I'm going to find somebody with whom I can share the gospel today or at least leave a track with them at least find some way to get the good news of the gospel in their hands. It may mean for some that you need to start a pattern of studying the Bible on a daily basis. It may mean for some you need to start a pattern of praying without ceasing. It may mean for some you need to start a habit of giving to the local church. 
It may mean for some, it, you could go on and on with a whole list of things, but the truth being is I need to serve. And I hear excuses for all these things. Well, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to study. I'm too broke to give. I'm too whatever this. I'm too whatever this. Stop the excuses. How big is your God? And how short is your time here on earth? Let me tell you something. The older I get, and I'm not old yet, because I haven't hit 50. I always thought 50 was old. Now that it's next year, it doesn't look so old anymore. But in reality, it means probably what? Well over half my life is over. And when I look back over the last 49 years, I sometimes ask, what have I done? What have I done that really counts? We need to make every moment count. We tell people, well, trust God, but then when the trials come in our lives, we fall apart. We tell people, you need to be faithful to God, but then we find every excuse why we can't be in church ourselves. And we say to others, God's going to provide your needs, but yet we don't give a dime to the local church. May I say, with all due respect, that's hypocritical. You see, you're either going to be the servant of sin or the servant of Christ. As I've heard said many times, there's only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Which one are you going to choose? Are you going to choose with your life to please God? Are you going to choose to please self? We need to let the world know who our master is. Paul was not ashamed of Jesus Christ. He was not ashamed to talk of Christ. Can you imagine? Now, I know at one point Paul was at house arrest. Another point he was actually in bonds. Can you imagine being the guy who had to be chained next to Paul? Can you imagine? I can imagine the shift change between the soldiers. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad. The guy went on for four hours talking about this Jesus. And uh, and then he starts singing. And then he just starts praying and he starts praising. I'm so glad you're chained to him for the next four hours. And the guy coming on the shift is like, yeah, yesterday, I'm telling you, the guy just kept going on and on and on. But you know what? There might have been in that group of soldiers one who said, hey, wait a minute. Did you actually listen to what he said? He was talking about the God who created this world. He's talking about the one who came to save us from our sins. And, and I listened to what Paul had to say, and I've trusted this Jesus Christ, and it's not as bad as you guys think. Let me tell you, the guy's got the truth. He's telling what, and then he starts witnessing, and then the guys all make fun of him. You know, I could imagine this scene going on, couldn't you? And then maybe another one listens, and another one. And Paul just starts witnessing to them, and they start getting saved. If not... I tell you one thing, they won't stand before God without an excuse, because I'm sure they heard it chained to Paul, didn't they? The world is not afraid to tell us about their master, are they? For most in this world, you know who their master is? Self. But the world is very bold in speaking what they believe. It's only those of us that speak about Christ that they want to silence. Let's not be silenced. I should be wanting to tell others about my master and I should desire to be his servant because of all he has done for me. Again, verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest. The idea is to make known or visible, make it plain. No matter where I am, Christ should be seen in me. If you look at chapter 4 and verse 22, it says, all the saints salute you, chiefly they 
that are of Caesar's household. Paul is preaching to the household of Caesar. And, by the way, obviously some got saved in Caesar's own household. We need to preach in all places. It says again in verse 13, So my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Now, as would be typical of a palace, people are coming in and going out all the time, right? So if Paul had opportunity to preach the gospel to people coming in and out, and people getting saved, then see how God is furthering the gospel by Paul being there? Because if somebody comes in, a dignitary comes in from some other part of the kingdom or the realm or whatever, and they get saved and they take the gospel back, that was pretty effective, wasn't it? I've heard Christians ask, well, who do I share the gospel with? If they are a living, breathing human being, they're a candidate to hear the gospel. Well, how do I know if they're saved or not? Start giving them the gospel and you'll find out very quickly. I've had people say, I don't need that. But I've never had a true born-again believer get mad at me for sharing the gospel with them. Matter of fact, most times they're very thankful and sometimes convicted, wondering why they're not doing the same thing. So God used circumstances to move Paul to Rome to preach the gospel there. Which brings us then to our last point, verse 14, fearlessly preaching Christ. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Our response in trials can either encourage or discourage others. He says they're much more bold, they're brave, or bold enough to take upon oneself to do something. In other words, seeing Paul in prison, still preaching faithfully, encouraged others to say, wait a minute, if Paul can do that, why can't I? I'm still free. What if Paul, during this imprisonment, instead of still preaching faithfully, instead of still being a servant of Christ and doing what he was supposed to do, what if he had cowered? What if he had lived in fear? What if he had said, well, I can't preach here because I'm not free to do so. And what if he had made up every excuse why he couldn't? Do you think that would have emboldened others to go and preach? No, it would have been a discouragement to others. Others would look at Paul and say, well, if that's the result, then maybe I shouldn't preach because I don't want to end up like Paul. You see how our response affects others? Folks, we need to learn to take a stand. It doesn't mean we have to be mean and brash, but we need to stand for truth. Your living for Christ can build the confidence of others. Your living for Christ can build the confidence of others. You setting the example, you being faithful, can help build the confidence of others. I remember, and this is probably a bad attitude, but I remember many times in boot camp or in A school or whatever, looking around at some of the guys there and thinking, if he can make it, I can make it. Anybody else ever think that? Okay, glad I'm not the only one. And I I know that's bad to compare ourselves among ourselves, but sometimes it was hard not to. But yet, you know, I'm sure there were others looking at me thinking, if that guy can make it, anybody can make it. (laughs) 
the point being is in the same way and that kind of applies to the Christian army, if you will. If they can do it, if they can be faithful serving God, why can't I? Then I can do it too, right? And that's how it encourages others. You do realize peer pressure can be used both negatively and positively, right? That would be positive peer pressure, not negative peer pressure. So we need to boldly preach Jesus Christ. Did not Christ command us not to fear men? Because the worst men can do is kill the body. That's it. Now they may torture you along the way, but the worst they can do is kill you. That's the absolute worst they'll do. But does that not usher us into the presence of Christ? Now, I'm not looking to go get killed. I'm not going looking to die, okay? But doesn't it make more sense to fear God who can destroy both soul and body in hell? That's what the Bible says, right? Now, I'm glad as a born-again believer I don't have to fear hell. But when I get to heaven, I want to have rewards to lay back at the Savior's feet. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want him to be disappointed. You feared men, not me. I don't want to hear that from God. Antagonistic people try to create fear in others and many times do a good job. But remember something. They're just men. Bullies have always been around, have they not? I found out where many of the bullies went. They went into government. Seems that way. Because I'm telling you, there's plenty of them there. But really, there's bullies that are everywhere who will try to intimidate you, try to silence you. These Jews were bullying Paul, trying to get Paul to be silenced. But Paul said, I'll still preach Christ. So no matter what the trial is in your life, no matter what the circumstances are in life, be faithful to God. You want to be an example to other believers? Do the things you know you ought to do. It's hard to tell somebody to do something you're not doing yourself. Because the rules for thee and the rules for me does not work. You need to learn to be the example. The word example many times in Scripture has the idea of a pattern. Be the one that they can follow that pattern. The typeset, if you will. That is an old-fashioned term, I guess. Uh, but back in the days before computers, when you wanted to print a page, you had to put all the letters and, and set them, a typeset, and then it would ink it, and then it would stamp it on there, making it a, a copy of it. Well, is your life worth making a copy of? Is your pattern worth following? Another example of a pattern. My mom used to do a lot of sewing. And you know all those little brown pieces of look like tissue paper, it's real thick tissue paper type stuff, you know, and she'd cut it out and she'd pin it on the material a certain way, and then she'd cut out the material, and then she'd start putting it on the sewing machine, and all of a sudden it started looking like something. Well, what if my, when my mom made all those different clothing, she said, I don't want to follow this pattern, I'm going to just cut the line this way. How would it turn out? It would be horrible. Or it may be called fashion. We're not sure. Because I really think half the stuff they call fashion happened exactly that way. Somebody didn't follow the pattern. They came up with their own idea. But anyhow, that's a different story for a different day. You and I need to stop fearing men, but fear God. So, a hindrance or an opportunity. 
Which will you allow the trials and circumstances of life to be for you? Do you continue to look for ways to further the gospel? Or do you rather cower in fear and complain about the situation? Do you consider yourself a servant of His? That He can do anything with you? Or are you too busy concerned about self? Do you fearlessly preach the gospel and live to encourage others? Or again, are you too self-absorbed? Let's learn to look at opportunities, not hindrances.